Today we move from Isaiah to Ezekiel as we continue our study in the prophets, and we are looking at God being a promise keeper, and we're looking at a season when promise keeping was in question. Is God really keeping his promises? Now, I was a uh, young father, and uh, I am an optimist. I'm probably as optimistic as anybody can be. I have, like, I know we're all on a scale, but I'm just about off the scale on optimism. I see all of the world, you know, pretty positively, and I see all junior hires incredibly positively, which makes you a good junior high leader. So I have a, I have a high degree of optimism, and I like being involved. So as a young dad, I was serving in church pretty heavily. I was working hard. I worked for my dad and was learning construction and was... Uh, there's not really hours when you're working on a job. I would just work until the job was done. And uh, I loved being at home, and I loved being with my family. And uh, I had a propensity to describe things in a way that was from all of my optimistic perspective. Let me give you an example. Um, when I would look at a job, I think, well, that's going to take no time. That's, that would be a quote that would either come out of my father's mouth or of my mouth. But there is no such thing as a job taking no time. Um, I would look at something and I would think, I can do that in two hours. Not taking into account setup time, teardown time, the fact that something's going to go wrong, the fact that I'm looking at it through optimistic eyes, it is not going to take two hours, it's going to take five hours. Um, and I spilled this over into conversations with my wife. Uh, for instance, I would be completely lost in my work and then I would get a call from my wife. Are you coming home? And I'd say, here's my quote, I'm on my way. The reality was, I was on my ladder with my tools on, just finishing something that was going to take no time. Well, that became a problem. The problem was, is that I was saying things to my wife, and this spilled over into my kids, too, when I would talk to them. I would say what I was going to do, and it would be through my optimistic lens but oftentimes, it was later than I said, less than I committed to, and eventually, Jeannie stopped trusting. I mean, she trusted me, but it was a very good thing for her when she could actually have an app to see where I was. <laughs> and I learned to say exactly where I was. I am now crossing, and I'll tell her the street name. And traffic's kind of rough. I would also look at traffic optimistically. There was one time I got home to Fox River Grove from downtown in 45 minutes. Well, I'll be home at 3, you know, 325. No, you won't. What about the other times? What if something goes wrong? I would describe things positively, and it, it came off that my kids and my wife had to put a factor in when I said made a commitment, a Todd factor. In other words, Todd wasn't keeping his promises. Today we are going to see that God is one who always keeps his promises, who always does what he says, who controls all the things in this world so that he can accomplish and we can trust him completely at his word. Today we're going to look at Ezekiel 
chapter 11, and I'll fill you in about Ezekiel as we open up the word, but let me read the passage to you. Ezekiel 11, 14 through 21. Our God is a promise keeper. Ezekiel 11, 14 to 21. And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, your brothers, even your brothers, your kinsmen, the whole house of Israel, all of them are those of whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, go far from the Lord. To us, this land is given for a possession. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, though I removed them far off among the nations, and though I scattered them among the countries, yet I have, been, I have been a sanctuary to them for a while in the countries where they have gone. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been, where you've been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. And when they come there, they will remove from it all its detestable things and all its abominations, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit, and I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of... I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh, and I will give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. But as for those whose hearts goes... After their detestable things and their abominations, I will bring their deeds upon their own heads, declares the Lord God. Won't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, how thankful are we that we can trust what you say. That if you say it will be so, it will be so. In your perfect timing. You don't look at things through a lens that causes you to make promises that you can't keep. You don't allow the world to go so far out of control that you don't accomplish your good purposes in light of what we're doing. Thank you that you're sovereign. Thank you that you're good. And thank you that you are a promise-keeping God. In Jesus' name, amen. Ezekiel is speaking from Babylon. He is writing from Babylon. He is a prophet to a people that have been taken over and deported to Babylon. His life, as God would have it, and his ministry was in a season of incredible difficulty. And as you look at how the passage begins, and the word of the Lord came to me, son of man. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Well, where did it come to Ezekiel? It came to him in a place where the Israelites are depressed, feeling abandoned, feel like God has not kept his promises. And maybe this is what they would have said to each other. I know that God promised to Abraham that we would be like the sands in the shore and the stars in the sky. I, knew that the, I know that God promised to Abraham that there would be a people that would be great and that they would be a blessing to the world around them. I know that God made that promise to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, and I know that God carried his people into, his, into Egypt and then brought them miraculously out of Egypt. And Moses, he met Moses and gave them 10 commandments and made them promises again, promises of a, of a place that they would be, the promised land. 
Canaan. This would be their place. And at Mount Sinai, God told them how they could meet him, and they would meet him in a tabernacle. And that tabernacle would become a temple, and the Shekinah glory would fill that temple, Solomon's temple in Jerusalem. And for nearly a thousand years, these people met God in a tabernacle, had a king, he was promised, David was promised about 1,000 B.C., that there will always be a king on the throne from the line of David. I know those are the promises, but here's the reality. There's no king on the throne right now. The temple has been torn down. The people have been scattered. We sinned too much, and God forgot us. God gave up. He said, you people are so wretched and I've kept my promise for a thousand years. Can anybody be expected to keep a promise more than a thousand years? God can. But while they're talking from the shores of the Tigris and Euphrates River, and while they're looking at the people who are depressed, Ezekiel now prophesies God is about to speak. Yeah, you know what he's going to say? You people are awful. I'm going to find me people that keep their promises. What is God going to do? Is it that even God can lose his patience and stop keeping his promises after a thousand years? What of these promises of a king and a land and a, and a people? How are we to think about this season when, when all seems lost? And Ezekiel says, a word of the Lord came to me, son of man. <clears throat> Why the title Son of Man? That was one of Jesus' favorite terms to describe himself. Why does God refer to Ezekiel as Son of Man? Son of Man, speaking to his frailty and his brokenness, his humanity, his thirst, his hunger. The human condition. And at this point, for the people of Israel, for those who were left in Judah... As they look at the story, their frailty is in front of them. Their failures are before them. And God says, son of frailty, son of humanity, son of man, your brothers, even your brothers, your kinsmen, the whole house of Israel, all of them are those of whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, go far from the Lord, to us this land is given for a possession." What does that mean? What is he saying? The people who went in exile were about 25% of the people that were in Judah. The way it went with Israel is that after Solomon, 10 tribes went to the north and they were called Israel and two tribes went to the south and they divided because of their sin. And the two tribes in the south are the only ones that are left. Because Assyria has come and taken the north over a hundred years before this is written. And in the south, there are only two tribes left, and there's a king of David's line still on the throne. They're thinking there'll always be a king on the throne. And at the time that Babylon comes and takes over Jerusalem, 
about 590 B.C. The Israelites still believe, even though Hezekiah, who we're going to study, I'm sorry, not Hezekiah, Jeremiah, Jeremiah, who we're going to study, has been prophesying the end is coming. And we're going to get to study him for four sermons. Ezekiel and Daniel are carried off in the first deportation around 590 B.C. And they are taken, and Ezekiel, a priest from the line of the priesthood, along with in two deportations, of, if not four, somewhere in there between two and four, they carry off the Israelites that are left in the land, 25% of them. But who are the 25%? They're the leaders, they're the priests, they're the ones that are in the king's court, the young, and they tore apart Jerusalem and ruined the temple. And now, Ezekiel, his life is, I got to grow up a little bit under Josiah. I was born in the time of Josiah when there was a reform, and, and it felt like things are getting better. And then everything just got worse, and people didn't follow the Lord. And He grew up with failure. He grew up in his own home. He grew up as a priest. He grew up learning about Yahweh. And Babylon comes in, and he and Daniel are carried off to Babylon. And he's discouraged. Ezekiel is not an easy book to read. Are there seasons in your life that are not easy to go through? Ezekiel is going through this, and now... We have this, your brothers, even your brothers, your kinsmen, the whole house of Israel, all of them are those of whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the 75% that are left, without a king, without a temple, the 75% that are left of the Israelites are saying, God still likes us. He's given up on those people. So the way that they say it is in a quote that may be not so easy for us to understand. Go far from the Lord. To us, this land is given for a possession. You're off. You're, you're nowhere near God. For a thousand years, if you wanted to find God, you went to Jerusalem. And they're still living by Jerusalem, and they're thinking, God likes us more. If he's going to be a promise keeper in some shape or form, he's going to promise keep for us who are beer by Jerusalem. But the people that are in Babylon, forget them. God has despised them, and so do we. So it's with irony that he says, your brothers, even your brothers, your kinsmen. He's talking about this fellowship that they should have been one family, and they've turned on them and said, yeah, you're down on your luck and you were carried off, but guess what? God doesn't like you either. Well, then to this God speaks. Verse 16, Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, though I removed them far off among the nations, though I scattered them among the countries, yet I have been a sanctuary to them for a while in the countries where they have gone. All right. We may not see how cataclysmic this statement is, but I want you to look at that verse again. Check out what God has just said. It is different than what he's been saying for a thousand years. He is starting something new. He is making a new, he's adding a new promise to the promises that he's already made. 
He's saying, I will be your temple. I'm going to be with you personally, right where you are. Jesus affirmed this in John chapter 4 when he was talking to the woman at the well. Neither in this mountain or in another do you worship God, but the true worshipers who worship in spirit and truth, you're going to worship wherever you are. He is offering his presence right on the edge of the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. Far from Jerusalem. I have been a sanctuary to them for a while in the countries where they have gone. The tabernacle's gone and the temple's gone. The Holy of Holies is gone and the Ark of the Covenant is in some Indiana Jones movie. Sorry. Now it's gone. More than likely, right at this point, it was melted down for the gold and taken to Babylon. How are we going to be God's people anymore? And God says, I'll handle this. I'll continue to keep my promises. I'll be a sanctuary for you while you're in the countries where you've gone. Therefore, say, thus says the Lord, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. I will gather you and bring you home. The picture is that God is continuing to keep his promises, the promise to Isaiah, the promise to Abraham, the promise to Isaac, the promise to Jacob, the promise through Moses, the promise to David, all of these promises that have been made again and again by God. He hasn't lost them. He hasn't forgotten them. He hasn't stopped keeping them. He is going to gather together those who are faithful, those who trust him, and he's going to take those who trust him from the gathering of the unfaithful, from the people who have failed. He's going to raise up a remnant. He's going to bring them home. I will gather you together and bring you home. And already we start to see, I don't know if you know that Ezekiel is quoted in the New Testament, especially in the book of Revelation. But already you see Jesus' ministry based on these promises when he says to his disciples in John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. John 14, 1 through 3. Jesus is saying this promise to a remnant, this promise of land, this promise of gathering together, I've come to keep the promise. I've come to bring you home. I'm not going to leave you in your despair, in the failure, in the disappointing places where we land. And God says, I will do this. So Ezekiel is um, with a bunch of people that are depressed, losing their homes, losing their families, stuck in a place that's so far from everything that they know, wondering how in the world can God still care about me? And God says, I will be your tabernacle. I will be your temple. I will be your holy of holies, and I'll meet you right where you are. And I will gather together a remnant of those who believe, and I will take them home to be where I am. And Jesus added, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust me. 
trust me. I'll keep my promise. I will gather you and bring you home. I will give you new hearts. Look at verses 18 through 19. And when they come here, they will remove from it all its detestable things and all its abominations. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. And I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. When we are taken home, we will be part of the righteous. We will gather together and we will remove the detestable things from us. What's the problem with this promise that God gives us? The promise, the, the promise that God's giving is an expectation that we, as fallen humans, are now going to all of a sudden be the good ones. There was a thousand years in Israel where they could not keep the law, where they could not do what was right, where they could, I mean, even if they'd have a season of repentance, failure followed again and again and again. The human condition. The sinful life. Oh, how I've known it. How about you? I'm not the faithful one. He is. So what is there we to make of this promise? That he's going to, when we go there, they will remove from it all its detestable things and its abominations. God is promising that we are going to become righteous and we are going to do what's right and good. How can this be? Well, the answer is found in verse 19, the promise that I will give you a new heart. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit. And I will put within them, I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and I will give them a heart of flesh. The problem is, is that people have an inner core problem, that we have something that comes out of us that's evil. When we open our mouths, there are good things that come out, and then there are times that are toxic things that come out. And all that you have to do is look at the world around us. Look at the police force and what happened just this last week and what we saw on the screen. I'm pretty confident that those cops wanted to do what was right when they started, had a picture of what that would look like. And all of a sudden, what's coming out of them is just, evil. How's that possible? Welcome to the human condition. We can aspire to do what's good and right, and the facts are we fall so desperately short, but God promises that I will give them one heart and a new spirit. Now, I don't want to steal Dave's thunder when he preaches from Jeremiah on this promise, but I want you to know that Jeremiah was ministering before Ezekiel left Jerusalem. He heard the promise of the new covenant. He's now talking about that promise that he heard from Jeremiah. He's testifying to the fact that God is going to put a new heart in us. And he's going to remove the heart of stone from our flesh. How is that accomplished? Well, that promise, it would wait another 580 years before Jesus came on the scene. And he would come and baptize in the Holy Spirit. That he would put the Holy Spirit in us and change our hearts and our lives and we have this now truly an inner battle between doing what's good and having the power to do what's good and still having the flesh and still struggling in sin and 
I've spent 40 years being a Christian and I have felt that tension. But oh, how the Spirit of God has changed me. I don't know if you know it now or not, but I am very careful with the words I say to my children and wife. Why? Because God didn't give me a heart of stone. He gave me a heart of flesh. And I want to do what's right and say what's right. I want to be changed by the Holy Spirit, don't you? The promise is is that God is going to complete this work in us. This isn't go home and try harder. This is go home and get closer to that God who has promised to be with you and to give you His Holy Spirit and to trust Him and He'll give you a new heart and what will come from you will be Christian and honest and good. God promises that I will gather you and bring you home, that I will give you new hearts. And if you look at the last two verses, he promises that he will keep his promises. In verse 20, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them, and they shall be my people and I will be their God. His promise is that he is going to radically change us and cause us to be part of his kingdom. And when he gives us his Holy Spirit, he will begin to change us from the inside and sanctify us. But already, because of the work that Christ has done and the cost that he paid, this is where all of the promises end up at the cross of Jesus Christ. The promise to Abraham to be a blessing, and the blessing comes from the seed of Abraham. The promise that we will have a land and Jesus went and prepared a place for us. The promises that we would have a king and King Jesus was from the line of David and he will sit on his throne through eternity. Praise God. Because he's good and he keeps his promises and he didn't forget us. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Praise God. He has never forgotten his promises. He always keeps his promises. He uses that same covenant verbiage and they shall be my people and I will be their God. The same verbiage that he used with Abraham. The same verbiage that he used with Moses. The promise that he's been making all along is that I love you and I'm coming for you and I want you to be part of my family. I want to adopt you. And you are welcome. All are welcome at the cross. And the picture that was in the Jewish mind at the time when the deport, right before the deportation happened was God will never remove us from Jerusalem. God will never take away the temple. God will never remove David's king. And as they looked at these promises, and he'll never take us out of the land because he promised and God's a promise keeper and God removed all of those things so that each person could look at and say, am I actually going to be before the new king, the promised king? Am I going to make it to the promised land? The new Jerusalem that's talked about in Revelation 20 and 21. 
am I going to be able to say, my God, and will I be his child? This is the promise that is available to anyone who will listen and respond in faith. And how do I know? Because there were a bunch of people on the shores of the Tigris and Euphrates River that were depressed and thought that there was no hope. And God said, I am always going to keep my promise. You can trust me. But verse 21 stands as a warning. But as for those whose heart goes after their detestable things and their abominations, I will bring their deeds upon their own heads, declares the Lord God. This passage is a promise to all who will respond to God in faith and come, in, as we know, through Jesus Christ by faith into a relationship with him that is eternal, eternally his. He is the promise keeper that will bring us home. But there is a whole bunch of other people. I don't know how big the remnant is. There's a whole bunch of other people that don't trust God, that don't believe in him, that don't turn to him. And for those what they've done will be counted against them. I'm begging you. Make sure that you're right with the promise of God. Make sure that you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ. He will keep his promises. If you're not sure... For heaven's sake, for your own sake, don't go home unsure. God has made a promise to a group of people that were wondering if God had given up. Certainly other people thought God had given up on them. And God went to them and gave a promise that was astounding. I'm going to come get you. I'm going to make promises to you that are personal. I'm going to take care of you and I'm going to bring you home. I'm going to put a new heart in you. And I will always keep my promises. From Isaiah to Ezekiel, God has removed all of the things that, put their, that people put their trust in that they thought that would make God like them. He's removed their ability to do their religious activities the way that they thought. He's removed them from their homes. He's removed them from proximity to Jerusalem. And he said, have you placed your trust in me? Promise-keeping God. I hope you have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am so thankful that generation after generation, you keep your promises. Generation after generation, you are good. That even 580 years before Christ came, you promised the solution. 
even if they couldn't see what that looked like. And I'm so thankful that we now know that Jesus Christ, that through the death and resurrection, that we can be saved. That you have found a way to give us clean hearts and remain a just and good God. And it all meets at the cross. Father, would you stir our hearts to trust you. Stir our hearts to walk with you. In Jesus' name.